Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Ooh, delally. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 83, Robin Hood. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And this is the final episode that I'm putting out for Verbal Diorama's second birthday. I have been focusing on classic Disney. I covered the Golden Age of Disney with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the Silver Age of Disney with The Jungle Book, and now we're moving on to the Bronze Age of Disney, with my personal favourite, Robin Hood. But before I go into that, obviously I hope you're all keeping safe and healthy and well. This is episode nine of Animation Season 2021. And Animation Season is something that I've been doing at the start of every year, just really focusing animation and the beauty and wonder of animation and really just highlighting the fact that animation it's not a genre, first of all, but also that there's so much we can get out of animation. It's not just a medium for children. And obviously, whether you are a regular listener of this podcast or you are a brand new listener to this episode, thank you for being here. Obviously, this is episode 83. There is a lot of other episodes out there um, if you are interested in listening to those. But as I said, this episode is going to be focusing on the Bronze Age of Disney. It's often referred to as the Dark Age. I prefer to call it the Bronze Age because I kind of feel like the Dark Age is a little bit ominous. And these movies that came out during this period, they were really, really fun. So the Bronze Age of Disney started in 1970 with the release of The Aristocats and it finished in 1988 with Oliver and Company. Um, And this version of Robin Hood, along with Robin Hood Men in Tights, is my favourite adaptation of Robin Hood. And there's a, going to go into it a little bit later, but there's a lot of Robin Hood movies out there. And this episode is going to be a little bit different to a regular normal episode. It's designed to be a bit smaller. I'm aiming for about half an hour. Who knows whether it's going to be that. I mean, The Jungle Book was about half an hour. Snow White was about 40 minutes. But 
I'm hoping that this can kind of stick to about half an hour. And in this particular season, the movies that I've covered include Coco, The Secret of Nim, Your Name, Chicken Run, Shrek, Ghost in the Shell, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and The Jungle Book. So hopefully there is something in there that you really like. But, you know, I'm just going to kind of jump straight into Robin Hood because... There's a lot to talk about with this movie, including but not limited to hot foxes. Uh, so here's the trailer for Robin Hood. Long ago, a classic legend was born and brought to life in Walt Disney's finest moment of ingenuity. A story of heroics of nobility and adventure. Disney's Robin Hood. The special edition, coming soon to Disney DVD. Prince John, an immature lion, rules England as a heartlessly tyrannical regent, while his brother and legitimate King Richard fights in the Crusades. In Nottingham, Robin Hood, Little John and Friar Tuck cleverly revolt against overtaxation and general oppression by the Sheriff of Nottingham, who taxes the poor to starvation. But Robin dreams of winning the heart of childhood friend and royal ward Maid Marian. When regular methods fail to catch Robin, an enraged Prince John organises an archery tournament, which the country's best archer just can't resist. Let's quickly go through the cast of this movie. We have Brian Bedford as Robin Hood, Monica Evans as Maid Marian, Phil Harris as Little John, Roger Miller as Alan Dale, Andy Devine as Friar Tuck, Peter Ustinov as both Prince John and King Richard, Terry Thomas as Sir Hiss, Carol Shelley as Lady Cluck, and Pat Buttram as the Sheriff of Nottingham. This movie was written by Larry Clemens, Ken Anderson, Vance Jerry, Frank Thomas, Eric Cleworth, Julius Svensson and David Michener. It's based, obviously, on the legend of Robin Hood and it was directed by Wolfgang Reimerman. In the last episode, I mentioned Walt Disney's death uh, and I wanted to start this episode with the aftermath of his death and basically what that meant for Walt Disney as a company. So after Walt Disney's death at the end of 1966, his elder brother Roy postponed his retirement. Bear in mind that Roy was 73 at this time to basically oversee construction of Disney World, which is something Walt had started to plan and basically started to buy multiple pieces of land near Orlando in Florida. These purchases were made in secret, but his vision for Disney World, as it was then known, was made public in October 1965. Um, and so Roy Disney felt like he had to honour his brother's wishes and get this park up and running. Um, and with Roy Disney focused on the new park, Don Tatum became president of the Walt Disney Company in 1968. He was the first non-Disney family member to take the mantle. He became CEO in 1971 and the company basically continued to really focus on live action films and animation became less of a priority for them. The Love Bug, which premiered in 1969, was the second highest grossing film of that year. And it was becoming apparent to Disney as a company that animation in comparison was 
expensive and laborious and that the real money was kind of in live action features. The animation departments still carried on working though. Uh, I mentioned last episode that The Jungle Book was the last film Walt Disney was involved in before his death. He had signed off on production for The Aristocats before he died but during the production of The Aristocats Ken Anderson suggested another classic tale that was also known to audiences, The Legend of Robin Hood the famed English outlaw who robbed from the rich to feed the poor. But how did the idea to make him a fox, kind of surrounded by these other anthropomorphic animals, come to pass? Well, Walt Disney had become interested in adapting the 12th century tale of Reynard the Fox, and this was around the time they were actually developing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in the 30s. But Walt felt that Reynard wasn't a suitable choice for a hero and didn't think it would appeal to a mass adult and child audience. So Reynard the Fox is an anthropomorphic red fox. He would trick and deceive other anthropomorphic animals, basically for his own gains. The stories were mostly written during the Middle Ages and seen as parodies of love stories as well as political and religious satires. Reynard was a peasant hero, sounds remarkably similar to someone else we know. Uh, his main adversary was Isengrim the wolf. You'll notice that the name Reynard and the French word for fox, which is Renard, are similar. And that is no coincidence uh, because Renard became the modern French word for fox. It replaced the old French word goupil. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I am. And obviously, <laughs> I am no good with pronunciation. But Reynard the Fox as a character kept popping up in discussions at Disney throughout the 50s. Walt Disney even considered an animated section focused on Reynard in Treasure Island, uh, which was Disney's first full-length live-action movie. And he envisioned Long John Silver telling the tale to Jim Hawkins. But that idea was nixed because they decided they wanted it to be a complete live-action feature. A musical feature film named Chanticleer and Reynard, based on Edmund Rostand's Gallic rooster Chanticleer, uh, was also mooted, but that idea was scrapped in the early 1960s in favour of a more well-known classic tale, the tale of King Arthur in 1963's The Sword and the Stone. So they basically took this classic Robin Hood story, blended it with the anthropomorphic characters, similar to Reynard the Fox that had made the Jungle Book such a success. Obviously, that's not the only inspiration from the Jungle Book or Snow White, for that matter, but I'm going to come back to that in a bit later. So I think everyone knows the classic tales of the outlaw Robin Hood, highly skilled archer and swordsman, usually of noble birth, but it depends on the interpretation. Usually he would have left to fight in the Crusades, only to return and find his lands taken by the Sheriff of Nottingham. Throughout the many stories, he gained a love interest, Maid Marian, a band of friends, his merry men, and the antagonistic Sheriff of Nottingham and Prince John, usurper of the throne of England from King Richard. And Robin Hood has been featured many, many times in Hollywood takes on this particular story. It's still not known whether he actually did exist. But there are references to historical figures who have similar names. The earliest surviving text featuring the character of Robin Hood is the 15th century ballad Robin Hood and the Monk. But most importantly for Hollywood and anyone who wants to make a movie about Robin Hood, Robin Hood is a public domain character. So there's no restriction on the use of the character. Um, and because of this, there are a lot of Robin Hood movies, TV shows, animated shows, uh, shorts, basically Robin Hood entertainment out there. And I'm not going to go through and list everything because it would just literally take forever. But I can tell you there's at least five live action theatrical shorts, 
28 live-action feature films, three direct-to-video live-action films, five television films, eight live-action TV series, including the excellent BBC TV series Made Marion and Her Merry Men, which you should definitely hunt out because it's fantastic, eight animated theatrical shorts, one animated theatrical feature film, which is this one that we're talking about, six animated television films, and one animated direct-to-video film. I say at least because Robin Hood actually features as a character in many things. Uh, the movies or TV shows might not actually be about him, but the character of Robin Hood has also appeared in other TV shows and other movies. In fact, the only other full-length animated feature film he appears in is Shrek. Uh, and obviously, I've recently featured Shrek on this podcast, and I questioned why they made him French, which is still bizarre to me. But the Disney animated Robin Hood is the only animated theatrically released feature film about this character, which, I mean, seems pretty strange, actually. Because when it's a well-known character in the public domain, you think there would be quite a lot of movies. But no, this is the only one. And maybe that's kind of why it feels so special. Robin Hood live-action films are basically ten a penny, and I grew up watching this movie. But also, I'll never forget when my dad brought home a copy of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I was probably too young to really understand what was going on. But, you know... If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you will know how much I love Alan Rickman. And my love for Alan Rickman basically started with that movie. I also am a huge fan of Mel Brooks' Robin Hood Men in Tights. I think it's hilarious. But this version, this animated Robin Hood, is the Robin Hood that I've seen more than any other version of Robin Hood. I'm a big fan of this movie, and I'm a big fan of Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I will say, expect to see Robin Hood Men in Tights pop up on the podcast at some point. Robin Hood as a sex symbol, is a bit of a thing. So I think we need to talk about this version of Robin Hood as a sex symbol. Because one of the first comments I actually got when I announced I was doing Robin Hood was from Emily from Why This Film Podcast. And she basically commented, and I'm ad-libbing here, this is not the direct quote, but she basically said, Robin Hood is really hot. And, you know, the general consensus on the internet is that people crush on this Robin Hood. And this version kind of is a bit of a literal and metaphorical fox. There are serious articles online going into the allure of Brian Bedford's take on the character of Robin Hood. And to be honest, I've kind of thought about this a little bit. And I think it's just as simple as, unlike your standard Disney prince, he's a little bit rough around the edges. He fights for more than the love of a lady. He's not kind of your typical clean-cut hero. He's a lovable rogue. He's all about justice, but he'll kind of dish out the retribution as well as standing up and helping the poor people. He's a bit of an old-school hero, not this kind of cookie-cutter prince character. And obviously there's no real barrier for his love for Maid Marian. He meets the girl, he tells the girl that he loves her and she reciprocates and, and they get married. There's no barrier there, uh, but that's actually kind of nice that there's no other suitor there to kind of take her away from him. In a way, you know, the fact that he is kind of chivalrous, the fact that he helps the needy, the fact that he's romantic and he has a great sense of humour, but also, you know, Robin Hood is a bit of a bad boy and there is a thing about this kind of typical bad boy persona, but, you know, a bad boy that can be reformed. In that way, this version of Robin Hood kind of is like the ideal man, 
which is weird. It's weird that I'm saying that on a podcast, but it's kind of true. It also goes without saying that director Byron Howard has stated that he was influenced by this version of Robin Hood when he made 2016's Zootopia. He made one of the lead characters, a male fox, voiced by the incredibly charismatic Jason Bateman. And I've mentioned Zootopia on this podcast so many times, I'm wondering why I haven't covered it yet. But I've always said 2016 was a great year for animated movies, uh, and Zootopia is kind of no exception. But I must admit, the fact that the character of Nick in that movie is a fox is very, very appealing. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why. Um, But the design of Robin specifically was supervised by Milt Carl. The original character had a much larger nose, a thin neck, looks a little bit less like a fox and more like a human version of a fox. But they basically updated that to give him this kind of stretched torso with shorter legs, this fuller neck and a less pronounced thinner nose. They had this idea that they wanted him to look like Errol Flynn, uh, but in fox form. And <laughs> I mean, they must have succeeded because he's a bit of a hot fox. And if Robin was a fox, it made sense for Marion to be a vixen, little John, obviously known for his size, to be a bear. Friar Tuck was originally supposed to be a pig, but they felt that might offend the church, so he became a badger. And the Sheriff of Nottingham being a wolf is kind of a little callback to Reynard the Fox, in a sense that Reynard the Fox's main adversary was Isengrim the wolf. And obviously, if you're going to have Richard Lionheart as king, then he needs to be a lion, and his brother also needs to be a lion, but a slightly smaller, more snivelling lion. And I think the character of Robin works in this movie because of Brian Bedford. He was a noted Shakespearean actor and director. He's a Tony Award winner and six-time Tony Award nominee. Uh, He wasn't actually first choice for the role, though it was originally offered to Tommy Steele, but he dropped out shortly after recording sessions began. Bernard Fox, not an actual fox, was considered before Brian Bedford was ultimately cast. And because of this search to find a new voice for your titular character, there were some setbacks in the production. And they were also spending quite a lot of time developing all these different settings for the movie. And so the production actually started to fall behind schedule. And it's because of this and the limited budget due to most of Disney's money being ploughed into the construction of Disney World. This is kind of where the recycling of animation comes in. Because, I mean, it's unavoidably true that this movie does reuse animation. And it was a practice that Disney did repeatedly. And not just for this movie, because I talked about it in The Jungle Book, but also other movies like Sleeping Beauty, The Sword in the Stone, 101 Dalmatians. It's more apparent in Robin Hood, I think, because it's clear where they borrowed the animation from. I mean, even Little John as a character is basically a brown bear version of Baloo. And obviously voiced by the same actor, Phil Harris. I only know Phil Harris's voice from this movie and from The Jungle Book. I think when I was a kid, I thought Phil Harris did all of the voices in all of Disney movies because he was the voice that I heard the most. Robin Hood borrows heavily from The Jungle Book, also from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, from The Aristocats, and even a little bit from Alice in Wonderland as well. Sir Hiss, the character of Sir Hiss, is basically the same as Car from The Jungle Book uh, and the Dawn Patrol from The Jungle Book are, are basically the elephants at Prince John's court. And I think a lot of people look at this movie and they look at the recycled animation and maybe look at it unfavourably because of that. 
Me personally, I don't think the recycled animation is necessarily a bad thing. Disney legend Floyd Norman confirmed that animation was reused, and the main reason was that, that the director linking the majority of these projects, Wolfgang Reitherman, knew what worked and wanted to play it safe. And there was a reason why Disney employed him continuously through the Silver and Bronze Ages, because he delivered on these movies. Uh, and Robin Hood was no exception, but I'll come to financials and stuff in a bit. The reason why Robin Hood is such a fan favourite, I think, is because this is all stuff we know uh, and stuff we love. All of the movies Wolfgang Reitherman directed from 101 Dalmatians all the way through to The Rescuers feel like comfort food for a reason. And, and Robin Hood kind of encapsulates that feeling like nothing else. Interestingly, one of the reasons Robin Hood doesn't have a band of merry men is because they wanted the movie to be a buddy feature between Robin and Little John. And the most interesting thing that I found out about this movie was there was an originally an idea not to set it in England or in Nottingham, but to set it in the American Deep South to recapture the, in inverted commas, spirit of Song of the South. And let's just say that this movie would be so remarkably different had they done that. Uh, it probably would not be available to watch either. And it's a very excellent idea that they chose to set this movie in Nottingham rather than the Deep South of America. Because Song of the South is not something that you want to emulate. This movie is also well known to be one of the first inspirations behind the furry fandom, which is a term used in fanzines from 1983. The furry fandom is basically a large, vibrant, real-life and online community who attend conventions, make crafts and cosplay as anthropomorphic characters. Right, let's move on to my favourite part of this podcast, the obligatory Keanu reference. And this is a little part of the show where I like to link the movie that I'm featuring to Keanu Reeves. And originally I thought, well, how am I going to link Keanu to the Disney version of Robin Hood? You know, I could just say, well, Keanu's a fox. Um, <laughs> but that is a massive cop-out. But when you think of Keanu Reeves, I mean, he really is a bit of a modern day Robin Hood. You know, he gives up his seat on buses and trains to pregnant ladies. He donates his salary, obviously most famously on The Matrix. He donated his salary to the crew. So I really do think that Keanu Reeves is probably the closest version to a modern day Robin Hood. And I'm going to put it out there. I would uh, <laughs> I would be his maid Marian any day of the week. So I want to talk quickly about the music because like the Jungle Book, I think Robin Hood is very well known for its music. Roger Miller wrote and performed most of the tracks, obviously as the rooster, Alan Adale, including Whistle Stop, uh, which actually was turned into a meme as well. Whistle Stop is kind of the theme a little bit, the, the musical theme of this movie, because Whistle Stop is used throughout the film, um, as well as Udalali. Uh, which is basically the catchphrase of the movie. Uh, everyone says Udalali, and it's become so synonymous with this movie. And obviously the song Not in Nottingham as well, which is pronounced Nottingham, not Nottingham, uh, like the movie seems to suggest it is. But obviously that is a product of having Americans say Nottingham, um, because Americans emphasise the ham <laughs> in these towns and cities. And uh, no, it's just Nottingham. That's... That's just how you say it. Other songs in the movie include, though it bears a resemblance to the English folk song, The Bastard King of England, which interestingly is commonly misattributed to Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book. Uh, and that is The Phony King of England. Uh, and that was written by Johnny Mercer. Um, and this song, Love, 
was written by Floyd Huddleston and, and George Burns. It was performed by Nancy Adams and it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song at the 46th Academy Awards. Uh, it did not win. Similarly to The Jungle Book, The Bare Necessities was also nominated for an Oscar, also didn't win. Love is also featured in the 2009 Wes Anderson stop motion film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I wonder what's coming next on the podcast. I just don't know. Clearly there's a theme going on. When it came to releasing Robin Hood, at the time it had a bit of a burden on its furry shoulders. Because there were a lot of questions about, well, could Disney carry on as a company without the steadfast leadership of Walt Disney? And since this was the first feature completed without any involvement from Walt Disney, no sign-off from Walt Disney, would he have ever approved a Robin Hood movie? And no one really knew. So it had a lot to prove. Um, so it premiered on the 9th of November 1973 in New York and it went on wide release on the 21st of December 1973. And during this initial release, it would go on to make $9.6 million in the US and Canada. And this was on a $5 million budget. So from that initial US release, it almost made its budget back twice. It would go on to gross $18 million abroad, a massive success, really, for Disney. It was re-released in 1982 and has since gone on to make $32 million worldwide. Robin Hood was released on VHS, CED, Betamax and Laserdisc on the 3rd of December 1984 and it became the debut instalment of the Walt Disney Classics home video label. And at the time, Disney had thought that the idea of releasing any of its classics in the home market might threaten future theatrical reissue revenue. But because the company didn't really see Robin Hood as one of their classic movies, it was the first choice because it wasn't really held in such a high esteem as some of the other titles. It was re-released VHS several times in 1991, 1994 and 1999. It was reissued on VHS and DVD, so it was released on DVD for the first time in the year 2000. And in 2013, it was released as the 40th anniversary edition on Blu-ray. And taking into account all of these home releases, it's always been widely successful. Um, because, as I said, this is a fan favourite. Um, and even if you just take into account the cinematic re-releases making $32 million across the world, I mean, that's not bad in its own right for a story about a good-looking sexy fox. There is no sequel to Robin Hood. Usually, Disney would go about making a multitude of direct-to-video sequels, um, but there isn't one for Robin Hood. There is, however, a planned live-action CGI hybrid remake of Robin Hood. It's due to be released on Disney Plus uh, at some point. It was only announced last year. No idea why they'd remake a perfect movie, but there you go. At this point, I'd normally go through social media thoughts, but I'm not doing that for these episodes. However, like I said, when I announced I was doing Robin Hood, it got the most interest from people on social media, the most comments about people were excited to listen to this. So, you know, I know that a lot of people are really, really keen on this movie. And I mean, I understand. <laughs> I know why. And I think it's because I, I do have a genuine love for this movie. And... If you look at it, Robin Hood actually makes very little sense. Um, you know, with its, it's got a very strong American and British cast. I mean, at least Robin Hood has an English accent. Robin Hood Men in Tights would be proud. But it's got like these weird anachronisms like Lady Cluck fighting off Princeton soldiers in like a manner similar to American football. 
it feels like a bit out there and a little bit more bizarre but out of all of the movies that I featured for these anniversary episodes it's the one that I love the most and it's the one that I've re-watched the most because I used to re-watch this all the time as a kid it's a bit like comfort food to me I know that I can put this movie on and I will love it and enjoy it the fact that it's on Disney plus as well it's just so sweet and silly and funny but it's also kind of action-packed and melodramatic I mean it really is melodramatic unlike most Robin Hood movies which are very much leaning towards adults this movie is accessible for children while also you know highlighting really important issues highlighting you know the plight of poor people the disabled and the lower classes in a way that children can easily empathise with and understand. Um, and, you know, when the sheriff takes the birthday present of one whole farthing away from Skippy, genuinely heartbreaking stuff. And then you have this snivelling, weasley, cowardly lion character in Prince John, who's always crying for his mummy, sucking his thumb, and having temper tantrums when he doesn't get his own way. It's weird, but it's hilarious. The fact that he doesn't recognise Robin or Little John when they're dressed up as fortune tellers or Little John as the Duke of Chutney um, or notice when Little John has a mouthful of his jewels despite them clearly not being in his rings anymore. Um, in live action, something like this would be infuriatingly ridiculous. But in this, it's just endearing and hilarious. It's just the right level of fun, brazen, crazy melodrama that's missing in modern animation. But, you know, Robin Hood, despite all of the recycled animation, I don't care. I genuinely don't. It's just full of so much glee and fun and joy. Um, and the fact that it is the only animated feature-length version of Robin Hood, like I say, that actually makes this movie even more special than it was before. I wonder sometimes if Queen Elizabeth ever states, release the royal fingers. I kind of hope she does. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Robin Hood. As I've said, I'm not going to go through all of the usual stuff that I normally go through, but I do want to say a massive thank you to the listeners of this podcast for sticking with me over the last two years, for helping this podcast grow, for leaving reviews, for telling your friends. It's just been a phenomenal experience for me to put my voice out into the world on this podcast. Um, it's given me so much confidence that I didn't have before. And I really am genuinely grateful to the people who've always been there and always supported. But you know, like I say, even if this is your first episode, I'm genuinely grateful that you're here. Um, and I really hope that you will stick with me because there is more great stuff to come on Verbal Diorama. Uh, animation season is not over. The next episode, I hinted at it a little bit earlier, we're sticking with foxes. Uh, we're sticking with hot foxes. We're sticking with foxes that have nice voices because this particular fox is voiced by George Clooney and it's a Wes Anderson movie. It is Wes Anderson's version of Roald Dahl's Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's the final movie of animation season and I'm really looking forward to going into that and I hope that you will join me for more hot foxes. But before I go... Again, a massive thank you to you all for listening. A massive thank you to the patrons. Patron support on this podcast is invaluable. So I just want to shout out the patrons of this podcast to Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, 
Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor and Scott. And finally, life is brief, but when it's gone, love goes on and on. Bye.